0: Failed Google updates, WordPress 5.5 and Elementor 3.0 breaking websites and keyword tools having the wrong search volume, the month of August was really a month that belongs to 2020. But it's not all bad news. We're also going to be talking about a free outreach tool that beats most of the paid ones and about an AI article that actually got viral and what it means for site owners. So let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship, just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey
0: everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm really glad you liked the news roundup four weeks ago because it really allows us to put a lot less work into preparing the podcast. And one thing I never have to prepare for, which I'm really happy about is how's it going, Mark? So how's it going?
1: Glad you asked. Uh, I'm actually doing fine and so fortunately is this little guy here. For those of you who were listening last week, you'll know that my dog got his little snip snip operation and he's recovering well. He was trying to get at it but he's got a cone now so he can't get at it but he's all in all recovering a lot better so I don't know.
0: Say hi, Steve. <laughs> yeah. We just do that to get likes on YouTube, right? So if you're, by the way, if you're listening to the audio version and you want to see Mark's dog, you need to go check the YouTube version of the podcast because obviously uh, you can't see the dog and he's pretty silent, but Mark is showing his dog on camera right now.
1: And if you think Steve's cute, then uh, give us a like as well.
0: <laughs> well, even if you don't think he's cute, but you like the podcast, you can give us a like and you can subscribe below and you can also subscribe to a podcast on every audio platform, which is why we, I mentioned that for the people who are listening to this on audio, but... People came here not for the dog, even though he's really cute. I might bring mine at some point, but we we are here for the updates. And actually, when I look at the list, you are uh, going first. So what's happened, Mark, this month? So in another
1: 2020 plot twist, there was a rather interesting Google update on, I think it was the 11th of August. And there was was about 16 hours or so when there was just some crazy, crazy results in the surfs. Some absolutely terrible sites, terrible quality content was beating some really, really, really good sites. And people were freaking out, understandably. So as it turns out, this was Stake by Google. So John Mueller,
0: that's what they call bad updates, you know,
1: John Mueller, Google's head of search posted on his Twitter account that in reply, in replying to someone else and I've got it here, he said that I don't have all the details yet, but it seems that this was just a glitch on our side and has been fixed in the meantime. If someone could fix the other 2020 issues, that would be great. So thanks for that, John.
0: So we're two weeks later and the rest of 2020 hasn't been
1: fixed, you know. Unfortunately not, but following on from that, there was a bunch of people trying to analyze the situation and, you know, there's always sort of conspiracy theories and stuff come up, but someone put out a really interesting point and was like, well, what if this was just Google actually testing a bunch of content that they can't normally rank really highly to see how users behaved and interacted with it. What if it was some kind of like massive A-B test of sorts, I guess, but we have no information to corroborate that or any of the other theories
0: out there. You know, it's a bit stupid because they can just test on 2% of search results, nobody will say anything, and they can still collect the results, it's like they don't need to do that, right?
1: Yeah, that was my (laughs) point. I don't believe that or like any of the other crazy theories that are going on there. I think it probably is just something of a fuck up on someone's part yeah, so for sure. although it could actually be not so much they they messed up but they deployed something and it didn't work as intended because as i understand it's quite hard for them to know what the algorithm is going to do until they test it and roll it out so maybe there there's you know i think there. it
0: might actually have been server farm outages as well right so it's like some stuff's calculated on the fly or refresh pretty often and then let's say like, for some reason, these servers are unable to do their part of the work in terms of ranking results. And then everything changes, it's almost like you're removing some factors or something. So it could be something like that as well. It could be like tech issues, you know, power supply issues. I don't know. Maybe they have server farms in California and there's like all yeah. these fires, etc. Lots of reasons that why it could happen. we just like a logistical issue, you know?
1: So anyway, 16 hours later, it was rolled back to where it was before and everyone sort of calmed down, but for a good. You know, almost a day. People were seriously freaking out.
0: Yeah, I saw Tim Solo getting crazy on Twitter because like some shitty blog was outranking Ahrefs for like keyword research or some really big term, and he was like, "How the hell can Google do that?" Etc. That was very entertaining, to be honest. I think it happened during the weekend, and I was literally not looking at anything, and I just like caught up on everything when it was fixed. So you know, my heart didn't skip any beats, but yeah, it was interesting to see people freak out. Understandably, after the history of like core updates that Google has been putting out in the last three years, it's like, actually, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising that something just completely moves everything around, right? And uh, actually there was another date, right, uh, August 15 16 or something?
1: Yeah, so, well, I don't know, SEMrush has this really cool tool, it's called the SEMrush Sensor, and I guess they monitor a bunch of keywords and positions, and if a lot of things are changing, then it goes into the red, and it was in the red on the 15th, 16th of August. I didn't notice any changes, I looked at a bunch of bunch of SERPs, so I don't know. If you were affected by this, then let us know in the comments, but I don't know. It's really hard to tell these days unless Google comes out and says, oh, there's a big change, is it just, you know, a specific thing happening, or I don't know,
0: I don't know what's causing this. Okay, so you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah most cast I have no have idea. That day, basically. <laughs> Mostcast also is like, there's a bunch of these services, uh, I think Sistrix has one. I think Asimosh has one, I think, I mean, Mozcast, there's one as well. I think maybe LRT has one as well, I'm not sure, but there's several. Uh, and usually you check a few of them to see if they correlate, but like sometimes it's just like they're high for no reason, you know, so.
1: Yeah, so what normally happens in Facebook groups is people see this goes in the red and like warning... Um, update incoming and then a bunch of people share it and it's like you know obviously it's a way for them to promote moz or sem Rush or, or whatever and for them to get or whatever link building service you
0: have you know but uh yeah actually it's funny because i was researching this i was on se Roundtable, table which is kind of like a good site for like news so i kind of like checked that site before this podcast and because there's been no updates for three months now there's articles about google not updating for three months and people like essentially be like wait there's gonna be a massive update there's no way they didn't do any update for three months not even thinking that maybe people just can't go to the office because of the lockdowns, et cetera. So that would probably slow things down or something like this. But yeah, it's, it's funny. So like, honestly, it's one of the things I wanted to talk about with these news as well and, and kind of like take a step back. Every kind of like major, you know, when new updates, types of updates, types of factors get introduced to in SEO, then what happens is they are press of a button updates, right? So it's like Google presses a button and then everything just reshuffles and we're here for two or three months and then they repress the button and it reshuffles, etc. But every single one of them has ended up becoming part of the core algorithm. This happened to Panda, this happened to Penguin, there's none of these updates anymore, right? When these used to completely rock the search results. And now we're getting into the time frame where these kind of things could start happening. So it's like, while people are expecting some massive update and you know, as I'm saying that the day we publish this podcast is gonna happen, but but what I'm saying is history teaches us that it has been the case that eventually these things get weaker until they just get incorporated sorry, in the core algorithm, then you don't really see these updates anymore. And usually you have like one or two years of like, no, none of these like press of a button type of days that just reshuffle everything overnight. And I think, yeah, it, it might be, uh, we might slowly be entering that phase. It was one of my predictions, actually. I think at the, I don't know if it, yeah, I think it was at the beginning of the year where I said, like, I think the core updates are going to stop, you know, we're three months in. So it's like, it's one of these things where it could just be a slow cycle or it could just be happening. Hard to tell at this point. But uh, yeah, it doesn't mean the ne- there's going to be a next core update, which would be nice kind of like given the amount of sites they've killed randomly when we have no idea what happened. That would be nice. Do you think
1: generally though they're going in the right direction with this? With no, the,
0: the, no. <laughs> no. I mean, we talked about search intent last time in the on-page podcast, right? You end up with just clone pages on page one. It's like, I think it, it kind of makes sense if you're looking for quick information. Like basically, Google is becoming utilitarian and not a way to find really great content. It's like you find great content on Reddit, you find great content... Um, you know, Hacker News and like maybe Quora and things like that. But now Google is essentially expecting utilitarian content that just like answers the query quickly, doesn't really do anything, any first or anything. And then just like it Google's becoming that utility, not that place where you're going to find great content where you're going to type that keyword. And as a content creator, I don't enjoy that because it then becomes about technicalities and it becomes... It becomes a playground for really big companies because they're, they're good at creating that utilitarian content that's not really excellent, but they're like, you know, that kind of like creator edge of being able to create that, you know, quite a bit better content because you really care is not nearly as rewarded anymore as it used to be because of that, that push for search intent, et cetera. And even links essentially are weakened out. So when you were able to create something really cool, you could get links and that was quite, quite great. Now it's not the case anymore. Your links alone are not going to be uh, solving the issue for you. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, of where this is going. still doing SEO, but that's why we're doing YouTube, for example. Like that's why we're doing YouTube. And for example, if you're on our email list now, I'm writing the emails because I can write whatever I want and I don't get punished for it. Uh, instead of writing blog posts, because if I write a blog post, I'm going to write great content. It's going to get links and it's going to get absolutely nowhere because it's not matching what the utilitarian uh, goal of the query is. Because uh, I'm going to post something a little bit original and different out there. So as like someone that likes to create original and cool stuff, I don't enjoy that new Google. So yeah, <laughs> are we done with this news? So should we jump to next one? Or you want to open a debate on like why why Google is? Shit? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go for the next one. Okay, I wanted to talk about, uh, still about Google Updates, is uh, FAQ, Rich Snippets. So that used to be the craze, uh, Matthew Woodward, I think, introduced it, and then Neil Patel copied the blog post. Um, that essentially is how this thing got introduced to a lot of issues last year, and people got quite excited about it. A lot of people started implementing it. Essentially, John Miller got asked in one of his Q&A's, like, oh, it seems like my FAQ uh, Rich Snippets are not really showing as much anymore on search results and John Miller was like, yep, actually it looks like we're tuning this down and didn't really explain why, but uh, it's kind of basically dying down a bit. I feel like they're doing the same thing as they did for the, um, the review styles, you know, like they did that for these snippets, they cut quite a few, then they, they reinstalled them back as well if you had like you need to have some uh, schema for like your company or something on your site and then we got them back. So it looks like they, they're killing it down, but actually uh, one of our H4 members, Matthias, did a test on his site Uh, implementing them. And he got more clicks through it initially, but then over a longer period of time, he actually ended up getting less traffic to his site uh, and he ended up removing it. So I haven't really played with it. I felt like it was a gimmick and it looks like Google is tuning this off slowly. And at the same time, several people have seen low results. I'm sure if you had better results with this, like drop us a comment on YouTube, I'm quite interested. I'm not saying it's not the case. I'm just sharing the experience of people I know. But it's kind of funny to see how a big SEO hype of 2019 I think Matthew would what called it the best SEO tactic of 2019 or something. It's kind of like nobody really talks about this anymore. One trick with this one as well, by the way, that I haven't mentioned is like actually in the text of the snippet. So you know you have the question. It's kind of like people also ask you have the question you click, and then uh, you have the like a blob of text below. In that blob of text, you were able to actually put affiliate links, so you would end up having your affiliate links on Google without people clicking to your site, and you could actually generate commissions from people who don't click on your site. Um, so that was one way that you could actually monetize this. Don't know if it still works. I, I just know it worked at the beginning, and uh, but yeah. FAQ rich that's slowly phasing out. We don't know why. They don't really tell us why. I guess they're just rebalancing it, tweaking the numbers, that kind of stuff. It's
1: quite a can... common phenomenon. They'll they'll come up with some new SERP feature or a website schema feature, and people will use it to an extent. Or some people will use it use it very well, but then they'll just sort of like. Turn it off. I don't know why they, they keep doing this over and over again. You know over. why they do that do they for,
0: uh, for people to adopt it, you know? So like people adopt it and start implementing it and you can like slightly over reward it. So people implement yeah. it in that oh, process. It's like, it's like TikTok. It's like games. When,
1: when you join it, you get like loads of views on your first few videos.
0: But exactly. then like it it's becomes the hard. It's like it's in, in games as well. Like when I play Overwatch, like they introduce a new hero and they make it slightly too powerful, so everyone just learns to play it, and they just yeah. kind of like put it back in line after that, and then it's just like part of the normal roster. So that's, that's how it works. And it's like it's a good way to get users to adapt features to over, slightly over reward when you release them, and then just tune it down, and then yeah, people don't really care that much, and it's part of the process. Especially for Google, uh, doing that would be a good idea. I, I'm surprised they haven't over rewarded. Really equal sponsored and um, all of that because everyone's just doing no follow to be honest and most plugins barely updated to change that but I feel like they would get so much more data on understanding what is a sponsored link etc if a lot more people were implementing it so if there was... If someone came up with a, a study that really cool sponsored links are actually like better in some way or something, that I wouldn't be surprised because it's one of these things that I could see Google do. Anything to add on this? Otherwise, that was a quick one. No. Cool. I'm going to talk about something that Tim is not going to be happy about, and I'm going to talk about uh, sales room discrepancy in keyword tools. So it's something that I've been doing lately. I've been testing, retesting pretty much all keyword tools out there not all keyword tools out there, the major keyword tools out there, because someone's going to come up with a tool didn't test. And to my surprise, uh, I thought something like search volume would be quite fairly well established and that most tools would give around the same numbers. And that's absolutely not the case. So what I did for this example is I literally took the same query, I took best blenders and then I selected USA in all tools and I'm going to give you the numbers. So Ahrefs gave me 21,000 searches per month in the US SEMrush Rush gave me 33.1 thousand uh, searches in the US. So did Uber Suggest and so did Keyword Planner. So, like, we get the volumes in Keyword Planner because we, we run AdWords ads as well. So, we actually have access to Keyword Planner. So, we get the exact volume in there. And Keyword Finder gave me 34,600 searches. Now, maybe you look at that, you're like, ah, it's not that different. But actually, between Keyword Finder and Ahrefs, there's 64.7% more searches established. And that will change the way you do keyword research. And between SEMrush and SEMrush Keyword Planner, suggest and Ahrefs, there's still 57.6%. So it's like, it's something that I have observed on, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know who's right. Even, honestly, it's not because it's on Keyword Planner that it's true. Um, because in AdWords, Google does a lot of keyword grouping, and they group plurals and singulars, etc., and a lot of things like this. So it might just be a difference on the, the way they count. But it's quite interesting to see how, like how different search volumes are between keyword tools and how they might make you do different things. So, for example, for us, we, because we use Ahrefs and I've noticed that they essentially underreport compared to other tools, I'm quite comfortable writing for a keyword that has like 80 or 100 searches on Ahrefs. Because I know that when we write a page, it's quite frequent we write for these keywords, and the, the page ends up getting a thousand visits per month. And I'm pretty happy if it's a support article. But like, if I was taking the same numbers to like SEMrush, for example, I probably would not get the same success because the report numbers are much higher. So it's quite interesting to see how we adapt to these things. And I don't think many people talk about that, you know.
1: Does this mean that since one part of keyword research tools aren't isn't 100% accurate that everyone should <laughs> abandon all oh, tools? Oh, we're going to go back to the that, right? Because I did that. Does yeah. it?
0: Yeah, we should all, like, because data is not exactly accurate, we should not use data at all. That's how science works, guys. It's like, it's exactly see, okay. how it works. Mm-hmm. That's how we do, like, we know exactly, exactly how far Mars is to the centimeter, I'm sure, you know. And that's why, like, we're not going to go there because it's like we're not sure exactly of the exact distance. All I'm saying is, don't be afraid. <laughs> so for,
1: for anyone that doesn't get this reference, uh, <laughs> we did a podcast a couple months ago on this topic on this phenomenon and there's a lot of comments on the youtube video and in other places as well where people were concerned that because part of the data wasn't accurate that they should just abandon the tool these tools altogether or look for alternatives but you know with seo you're always dealing with a lot of uncertainties and it was never imperfections. accurate in the first place yeah
0: it was yeah. never accurate <laughs> And still people have done well with SEO using these tools, you know? So it's like, it's really like you don't need It's like whether there's like 21,000 searches or even 25,000, it's not that big of a difference at this level. Like, is this really going to change that much your decision making? Like if you think that the intent is of people that want to buy, which in this case is because it's like best blenders, people are looking to buy a blender. I mean, it's worth writing about that topic probably you have a chance to rank for it, right? So it's like you don't need absolutely accurate data to make decisions. And to be frank, most reporting in most companies is inaccurate. When you're looking at the accounting and the balance sheets of a company, when you're about to buy stocks or something, you're looking at a delayed balance sheet that is actually not accurate at the time because the company might have invested massive amounts of money today or fired a bunch of people and then the PL might be vastly different, etc. People still invest in the stock market, etc. So it's kind of the same thing. And this approach of like, I don't have absolutely accurate data, so I don't do anything is like just a procrastination in my opinion. All just feel like lack of self-confidence, I guess. But the entire world runs on inaccurate data, basically. By the time you see the numbers on whatever, Bloomberg as well, it's like it's already inaccurate for the stock market. It's the same with everything. So it's like, it's just something that is interesting. There is something that is nice to be aware of. So like, you know, what I take from this is that if I use QtFinder, it over-reports probably a little bit. If I use Ahrefs, it probably under-reports a little bit. Now, if I use SEO she would suggest it's in line with Keyword Planner, which is Google's data, which is still not accurate, I believe. I really believe that data. I know for a fact that for when you buy ads, for example, they put the plurals together with the singular, etc. So maybe I have best blender and best blenders in it, whereas maybe HF decouples them, and that's why I would have different numbers. So maybe everyone is right, but it's it's interesting to to understand that. Without, being, without freaking out about it because you're going to be better at SEO if you do that and you take it calmly and you run your business understanding these things. And as I said, we write for keywords that hf says is 80 to 100 searches per month and with the long tail and with the under-reporting probably a little bit, etc., we end up with thousands of visits to these pages, uh, which means I'm quite confident writing about fairly low volume on Ahrefs, but I would probably not do that on Keyword Finder. So that's basically a little thing I wanted to report because I've been doing this quite a bit lately. And it's like, uh, I've been sometimes like double checking keywords to just like try to get a feel of all of this, etc. and just, so when people ask me about keyword tools, I can really go into something that's like a little bit more interesting than what you would Google because Google will actually give you a random shit list of 10 keyword tools or whatever. So yeah, that is something I think people should know is quite interesting. So take it away, anything you want to say on this.
1: Nothing on that, but let's move on. The next one, let's talk about link building for a second. So if you've been following us for the last, I don't know, four years, five years, you'll probably have heard us talk about some of the tools we use to do outreach. In the past, we used Gmass, and more recently, we've used Mailshake, both fantastic tools. The problem with Mailshake is that it's gotten quite expensive. I think when we signed up, when we signed up, we got it on a lifetime deal on AppSumo, which is amazing. But even then, it was... It was like 10 or 20 bucks a month, something like that. It's now $59, $59 per month per user. Uh, so it's not an insignificant amount of money, especially if you've got more than one person using it. And this has led to a lot of people looking for alternatives. And really, there hasn't been that many good alternatives um, until now. So Hunter.io, yes, the same Hunter that sells email addresses or allows you to find anyone's email address, has launched a free email outreach tool. And you don't even need one of the premium Hunter's subscription packages in order to use it. You can use it on a free account for just one and you can connect one email address to that free account. If you have a, a paid account, you can connect more. We tried it out. And honestly, it's great. It's really, really good. It does about 80 to 90% of what Mailshake does, but all the core features you'd need, you know, upload lists, manage data, do follow-ups, all that kind of stuff. There's a few things missing, obviously some of the better features of, of Mailshake, like the A-B testing and a few other bits and pieces. But in general, if you're looking to save some money on outreach, I'd strongly suggest checking out Hunter's tools. Really, really good. And you know, who doesn't love a, a free tool?
0: They send through Gmail, right?
1: They do, yeah. So you can yeah. connect your uh, your Gmail or your G Suite account just as you can in, in Mailshake. Can you do other Gmail mail
0: servers? And... Can you plug another any other mail server or is it just Gmail?
1: I don't know. Let me just pause the video here. And through the magic of video editing, I can tell you that no, you cannot. It only works with uh, Gmail or G Suite accounts at the moment.
0: Okay. I was wondering, because like a lot of people who do outreach kind of like sometimes get annoyed with like warming up Gmail uh, inboxes when they want to do outreach. And so I was wondering if that was, if the guys from Hunter listen to us, uh, I think that could be a, a pretty smart idea to implement that because I feel a lot of people would uh, want to use that tool for that reason, actually.
1: Yeah, so really smart move from Hunter obviously makes money through selling email finding services and through their, their tool and the API, which is really still the best one out there, I I believe. Um, it certainly was the last time we tested it, so we use them a lot for that. Obviously, they're... they're positioning this free tool as a kind of lead gen for that. So, because they're profitable on the other end, it means that they don't actually need to charge lots of money for this this free basic tool. They can offer it for free. So, if you are wondering, oh well, it's free now, but aren't they just going to, you know, start increasing the price and stuff? I actually asked them about this. I asked a co-founder about this, and he said that that's not the plan. They may introduce it's a marketing. Plan. Yeah, basically, they may introduce some new features to it in future, and those will be only if you have a paid hunter account, like a, one of the one of the premium accounts. But uh, as it stands, you know, if you're just doing simple, basic email outreach, then uh, you can use it for free for the foreseeable future.
0: It doesn't cost them much money. If they don't send the emails, it's not that expensive to run. The really hard part of the whole thing is the sending and not being triggered for spam, etc. But if you let people's emails do it, then you offload that to people. Like you give that to people, and then it's not that crazy to maintain so I can believe that it's a it's a good marketing ploy I think it's going to do very well actually Uh, Hunter they're really smart actually yeah so that's really cool you know people always complain about that we recommend expensive tools you know, when I read reviews uh, about courses, etc., people complain about that. So for is actually the best tool we can recommend. I don't think it's as good as Mailshake, but like, yeah, for most people it's good enough. It's free, so go ahead and use it. That works well. Now let's go on the next one. We're still gonna talk about tools. We're gonna talk about WordPress 5.5 first and then Elementor 3.0 breaking websites. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting because not a lot of host providers actually force the updates to WordPress, of WordPress like on your site. They don't ask you, they just update it for you. The problem is that uh, WordPress essentially has is not using some of the old libraries that used to be used by like old plugins all the themes, even if they were updated recently, but like kind of like the infrastructure is old, like it may have broken them or if you had custom stuff built for your site, et cetera, they have, yeah, they have dropped some libraries and as a result, some plugins that relied on this, just it broke the site. So that is a problem. But if that happened to you, there's actually a plugin that was released by the WordPress team called jQuery Migrate Helper that restores these old libraries if you need them on your site. And it's been like three days or something that it's been released and there's over 100,000 downloads on this plugin with 4.9 styles, so I think people are pretty happy. So yeah, jQuery, Migrate Helper, you can go get that if your WordPress site was broken, a lot of people were complaining. It changed a bit the interface as well of Gutenberg, so Gutenberg now looks a lot more like a page builder. When you open all the um, the blocks you can use, it's like on the side, there's a sidebar on the left. It's pretty good. There's also things like native uh, image lazy loading because now it's browser-supported, so you don't have to use a plugin for that, so you get a bit better speed, etc. So overall, it's pretty good, but as usual, when you kind of like renovate the tech of something. Essentially the old stuff breaks or stops working. It happened when, for example, uh, Thrive updated to Thrive Architect. And you know what? They're not the only one because it happened to Elementor as well. Elementor 3.0 released. And the thing is like, they did a bad one. Usually Elementor is really good at telling you when things are going to come up, etc. But this time they just released the update without telling anyone. The bad news is that WordPress 5.5 introduces automatic plugin updates meaning that you don't do it manually, false, provided you activated the option. But some people have activated the option, they just got updated to Elementor 3.0. And Elementor 3.0 is great in the sense that, again, they worked on their tech. The code is going to be a lot lighter, both on the CSS side and on the HTML side. There's going to be a lot less divs in your code, etc. So it's quite nice. I'm quite excited for it, actually. I think, uh, I think it's going to address a lot of the complaints about page builders that people have, even though it's not perfect. I think it's getting close to like advanced Gutenberg plugins, but yeah, they released the update without telling anyone and it broke a lot of people's sites and also Elementor supports third party plugins. So a bunch of third party plugins also broke because of that, because they released all these things. And honestly, the third party plugin is a bit the fault of the plugin developers as well, because they actually, it was in beta for a while and they actually made the documentation on what they should change in their plugin. And if, you know, some people didn't do it, that broke the sites. So all in all, Yeah, Elementor 3.0 transition, a little bit bumpy together with WordPress 5.5, it was the perfect storm to break a bunch of sites. But I'm quite excited for the new tech in general, both on WordPress 5.5 and Elementor 3.0. I think WordPress sites are going to be a little bit faster, a little bit easier to use, and that's going to be pretty cool. So that's basically uh, Elementor 3.0. I'm going to be testing the new theme builder really soon as well. I'm quite excited for that. I think I'm going to switch to Hello Theme actually for our sites because of that, because now the theme builder feels like like it feels like it can replace every single area of, uh, of an actual theme. So you don't really need a theme anymore if you use that. So let's see how this goes. Do you want to take the next one?
1: Yeah. So last month when we did the show, we talked about the GPT-3 AI article writer software. And we talked about, oh, you know, maybe it can do some product descriptions, but it's a long way before it can write a passable blog article. Well, <laughs> fast forward one month and someone used it to create a blog post which got trending on Hacker News. Uh, and it's, I read the article and its first glance, I mean, even knowing that this was an article written by AI It wasn't obvious to me that it was written by. It wasn't obvious to me that it was written by an AI. It wasn't an amazing article either. But then again, there's a lot of not amazing articles out there on the web, so it kind of blend into the. How does it compare to like a
0: Textbroker article?
1: Is it better? I mean, it depends. Like, there's really good writers on Textbroker, but there's also loads of terrible
0: ones. So an average article on Textbroker.
1: I'd say it's worse because there's a few things which stand out. There's a lot of repetition so it uses the word for the phrase for example god like 20 times or something like that so every time it says something it has an example of that of that thing and you may think that's good but it's just it's a bit clunky it's a bit weird it says a lot without really saying a lot if that makes sense like it it describes things but it doesn't really communicate very well what's going on so anyway, like this article got to the top of Hacker News, and someone in the comments posted, "Oh, this is a terrible article. It must have been written by GPT three or a te- or a lazy writer." And then people were like downvoting that comment, like, "How could you be so mean?" and all this kind of stuff. Turns out, it it actually was the author and his or the person that made this happen. Um, I'm trying to remember his name here, Liam Poor. Uh, so he wrote a, a blog post about this, about what he did. And uh, he had some ideas about how this is going to work in the future. Uh, And that was quite interesting because I'm not 100% sure that it's just a straight up copy paste from the GPT-3 output. Because in this blog post, he mentions a few things like, you know, tweaking the conclusion and and things like that. He doesn't say that he did that in this case. But he said that if you're going to do it, if you're going to create content with GPT-3, then you'll need to do these kinds of things and a few other bits and pieces of editing. So... I'm not really sure whether this is like a true 100% copy paste of a GPT-3 output. I suspect there's maybe it's maybe been tweaked a bit. What he suggests as a kind of way of the future of you, of using this is rather than just re- straight up replacing writers, you may have, you know, where you may have a 10 writers creating, you know, 20 articles a, a week or whatever. Yeah, more, uh, you, you may go down to having, you know, like three writers and they'll they'll create 20 articles a week but they can have this gpt3 like write articles or sections of articles and then they can just kind of like edit it and like fix it and like humanize it in a way so it's more kind of uh a meshing of uh, of man and ai rather than uh, a straight up replacement so that's kind of an interesting perspective from the guy who did this but certainly cool developments on on that front and i'd be surprised if over the coming year we're not going to see a lot more interesting things happen with it
0: yeah i actually you know google docs does a little bit of that already it kind of like auto completes when you write you know like uh, and gmail does that too and you just press tab and it just like keeps writing like I would say like a lot. A lot of like my short emails are half written by AI at this point. Where it's like it's just yeah. the Even uh, the desktop, they, you know? they have
1: that in I think YouTube comments now as yep, well. So someone too, says yeah. something, it's the same technology, so you can you can reply. Yep. So guys, leave us a comment on this YouTube video if you if you maybe want to be AI maybe replying. get
0: an AI reply from us. But. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I think it's like some of these things that looks like really forward looking in terms of like paying attention to this, but I really don't think it's going to be. I think it's. Uh, we get basic, basic applications of this like shortly. It's like maybe three to five years, I would say. Like you know, it's still expensive, but I can see like there will be some tools that use this or something. Maybe even like platforms like Textbroker, I was joking, but they could use that to assist their writers and essentially just like become more profitable or offer even better rates or something. So it's 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 the kind of stuff I could imagine mm-hmm. doing. I wouldn't be surprised if like content providers started working on how to use this, et cetera. Anyway, I wanted to actually highlight a story from the Atari Hacker Pro community uh, today. And it's actually, we're gonna go back to Page Builders right now, so it's, I feel like we just, uh, you just had a break. Um, but I wanna highlight the story of Brad who posted about switching to Oxygen Builder. Oxygen, it's like, uh, it's a new one. And it's essentially, their marketing is that you can do absolutely anything you want and the code is much cleaner than any other page builder like they call this deception this deception thing comes from them actually that's one of their marketing thing so it's really good but the problem is that it's kind of the trade off of that is it's a lot more technical and that you actually need to it's kind of like again it's a hybrid you're kind of like half coding half using a page builder and um, and the problem is that a lot of people including people in age pro got quite excited about this because of page they basically they got really excited, they're like, oh my God, I'm going to improve the code on my page, et cetera. And Brad tried to do that and he essentially, it ended up quite badly for him because he spent over 100 hours trying to rebuild his site on Oxygen and then actually he got a lot of issues, his site got down, he needed some extra plugins that costed quite a bit of money to actually have all the options he wanted and the support wasn't very good, etc. cetera, no, I'm not trying to trash Oxygen here. Actually, what I'm trying to highlight here, through this story, is that sometimes chasing that little bit of extra page speed or code optimization can cost a lot. And that, that kind of like is a perfect backup to the narrative that we've been trying to push, which is I'm willing to sacrifice like a few, like, like you know, 0.2, 0.3 seconds of page load time in exchange for features so that I can actually run marketing and create the content I want without having to think too much about it and actually, you know, like not having to to worry about the tech basically. And plenty of sites don't have amazing page speed and still do really well because they're actually creating the content people want to use. And I think that's one of these cases where someone was excited about the tech, but maybe didn't have the technical capabilities to use the tools or like made things so complicated for themselves in hopes sorry to trade it for a slightly higher page speed. And in the end, it's like you could see that, you know, it didn't work very well. So that was an issue. And I think it's a good lesson. And he basically, he's been quite nice and been quite positive about it. He just said that, guys, you know, don't make the same mistake as I did. And he's probably going to go back to Thrive or Elementor or something, even though they're not perfect. So that's basically it. It's just like, it was kind of a lesson to learn. And I think if you have the technical abilities, it might be a great tool, provided it probably doesn't cost you too much extra time to use it, etc. It might be better than Elementor and etc. I'm not saying it's a bad tool. I'm just saying don't over invest in side speed to the point that it's going to have massive cost in terms of executing things and it's going to make things more difficult, etc. I don't think it's worth it. And I think this story uh, shows it quite a lot. And so try to learn from Brad and don't make the same mistake, basically. That's it for this story. Do you want to pick the next one?
1: So the last thing I want to mention was we actually had a quarterly planning meeting a couple of weeks ago. And we, we have these surprise, surprise every quarter. And we sort of plan out the future, the next quarter of what we're going to do at Authority Hacker. Uh, one of the big things that we're gonna focus on uh, now is email. So we have a pretty big email list, but aside from when we sell our products or sometimes when we, pub, very rarely, when we publish a new blog post or a podcast, we'll email out saying like, hey, we have this content. We're actually gonna like be sending some new and unique and pretty kind of revolutionary stuff through email. So as Gail alluded to earlier, while it's somewhat challenging to create new blog content which pushes the boundaries and explores new topics and concepts and ideas which doesn't fit the the cookie cutter model which Google seems to uh, desire on the surf, nothing stops us from doing that in, in email. So if you want to subscribe to our, our email list, go over to authorityhacker.com slash subscribe. And uh, you can join there. We're, we'll be sending one to two value emails out per week, basically. We just how many JVZ emails
0: though? Zero. There's no, <laughs> we're not promoting any products or anything. Yeah, we don't really. Like we I think we did one promo for Link Whisper this year. I think, and that's it. Honestly, it was the first in like because m- it was it was years.
1: actually a good thing that we would genuinely recommend.
0: Yeah, it's like I'm not saying we'll never promote stuff, but honestly, it's like this is not the business model anyway for yeah. Tory Hacker. So it's like. Yeah, don't expect JV's spam, et etc. That was kind of a joke. It's not gonna happen. Don't worry. But uh, yeah, it's like I'm just gonna put my best stuff in email since Google doesn't want it. It's like I'll be putting it, uh, I'll be putting it on email and I'll be putting it on YouTube probably, uh, like in his podcast and maybe separate videos, etc. Because yeah, it's like it seems like unless you repeat what everyone else says, then you don't get rewarded. So we'll play the Google game when we put what they want on the pages, they get indexed. And then we'll actually put the really good stuff in the podcasts and the emails. That's the plan, really. We'll try to embed videos, I guess, on the the blog to try to still have some of these nuggets on the blog posts without actually killing the search intent. But it's been, uh, it's been annoying, to be honest. So yeah, that's one of the things we'll be doing. I think we're done, basically. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover today? No. All right, so I'm going to do something new actually with the podcast, which is actually question of the week. So every week we're going to be asking you a question and you just need to go on the YouTube comments and answer the question. And this week, because it's the first time, and because I figured that are literally three minutes before the podcast, uh, the question is going to be very simple. What do you want to see in the next episodes? What topics do you want us to cover? We did on-page that was really successful, we did breaking up with Amazon and switching to higher paying FA programs that was really successful. I want to know like what you guys really want to see because we're willing to, sp- to spend quite a bit of time on this and do a bunch of research but we need to make sure that you actually want it. So- Drop us a comment and let us know in the comments what you want to see in the next podcast. That is uh, the question of the week. And next week there will be another question and we'll try to maybe make some polls, etc. But another thing that you need to do as well is subscribe if you don't want to miss the future episodes. So if you vote for something in the comments and you don't subscribe, you might miss it. So that kind of makes no sense. So please subscribe. Click on the bell as well. Otherwise, you miss the videos as well. And click on the thumbs up. It gives us a little bit of uh, boost for ranking as well on YouTube, so that really helps. Uh, we release a new podcast every Monday, so show up for that. And actually, if you show up during the premiere, so you can just go on the platform on the, on the channel, and then you should see the premiere scheduled sometime during the day on monday and we actually are here on the chat to chat with you i I literally just do free consulting on the chat during the premiere of the podcast sometimes it's related to the topic of the podcast sometimes really not but i'm showing up every monday to actually give free help to people so if you have there was a guy
1: last time literally just posting question after question like how to fix his site and like what to do next and basically getting a free strategy yeah i was doing screenshots etc i was sending the
0: screenshots and everything of like where to click etc so if you want to for that it's kind of fun uh you might meet some other people that run authority size as well which is kind of cool so that's basically it for the promo this week guys and that is it for the news roundup if you like this format also let us know in the comments i want to know if we need to keep doing this or not and we'll see you next monday for another episode bye <coughs>